Blue Monday Gazing at the rapidly changing scenery from the window, listening to Gulam Ali Ghazals, having a bag full of banana wafers all by myself, I marveled at the delicious taste. I was completely lost in enjoying each wafer and occasionally licked my fingers to not waste any of its flavorful crumbs. In that divine moment, I heard the voice of my friend and it appeared to come from far off when in reality he was sitting just beside me driving. What are you thinking? What? What what? Come on, you know, what what? Oh, I completely fell from the pinnacle of my ecstasy. I wasn't prepared for an honest answer. I was hardly thinking anything for the past few minutes except gorging the wafers. In fact, this took me by surprise and therefore was almost on the verge of adding one more what to the string of what. When it reflected upon me, that I was expected to be thinking about something profound, then lost in eating. He paused for a few seconds and came again with a different question, a tautological expression of the previous one. So, what do you think? This time, I was more prepared. About what? Sighting of tiger? Hum. Well, I think with me along your side, you have a meager chance. Why? What makes you think so? Two kings can't stay in a jungle together? This is an old trick. Try better. Oh no, not that. Feeling a little proud though for this patronizing statement. I mean, I think I have something against the tiger sighting. Rather, tigers generally do not find me worthwhile. Just because you don't wash yourself that often, which makes you stinky, he said teasingly. Now, this was a kind of accusation that leaves you at your wit's end. You could not agree or disagree as it would be accepting that I am stinky. Still, I said, tigers never wash themselves. It was a pretty lame way of fudging the situation which was tried and tested. In this last afternoon of the year, we were heading towards Sariska Palace, Rajasthan, better known for its tiger century, for our New Year's celebration. Ravi, a close friend of mine, was on the steering wheel, equally hopeful to see the tiger this time. This must be my fifth or maybe sixth attempt to see a free in the wild tiger at the safari and every single time I had been utterly unsuccessful. Chasing pug marks, tirelessly lurking behind trees, patiently near ponds, sitting hushed up for hours in the discomfort of the jeep and straining my ears to the limit of ringing for any remote animal calls, I had done it all. This also involved seeing Tiger Pooh, listening to birds shrieking, enduring exerm and boisterous ranger's tails without strangling him and even offering some money as an incentive to the park ranger. But as my luck would have it, I couldn't shrug off my virginity in this matter. So much was the self-belief of not being able to see a tiger that now I started to feel pretty safe and confident in jungles jumping off the jeep and walking freely, assuming myself as a tiger proof. After checking in, we had our lunch at the restaurant and went off to our room for some snug siesta. We woke up around 7pm and after a brief unpacking, mostly vodka and assorted items, we settled in balcony lounge chairs for a relaxed evening. Just to give a brief description of Ravi, he was a sales broker in a firm dealing with real estate. Evening parties and drinking were common. 
Besides, with the kind of recession in the market of property followed by demonetization in the last couple of years, he drank regularly more to unwind from target-related stress than to socialize. As a result, he became close enough to be deemed as a booze hound and most of the associated vices. He was finding it hard to overcome the addiction and therefore took this as an opportunity today make an announcement. You know what? After today, I will not touch even a drop for a year or maybe forever, if God permits. I was quite surprised, rather more by the abruptness of it. Of course, you don't need to touch to drink it. I blurted cheekily. No, I am damn serious this time. Jokes apart. Seriously? Like you were last year and last to that and so on? No, this time I mean it. Suppressing my urge to throw another pithy comment, I said rather encouragingly, Oh, that's great. Really heartening. You needed this badly. I said looking at his beer belly. What can be wrong in a man sincerely avoiding to abstain, even if it means for one day or one year or for lifetime or any period of time in between? I wanted to spur him up a little more to make him more resolute, but I knew there was a thin line between inciting him and getting him discouraged. Before I could open my mouth to say anything, he said, Yea, I have been thinking to do so for a long time, and today, sitting here on New Year's Eve with my closest friend, I think I will spare nothing to enjoy for one last time, before I say a sweet goodbye to drinking. Though I was bewildered by the logic, yet it was aiming for a very noble cause, and I reaffirmed his sentiments. And what an evening it turned out to be, freezing cold December breeze and the serenity of our balcony, hanging over the backyard of the palace, which was being used as a resort, was just the place to be in. It was quite silent and unruffled, except for occasional distant howl or a close shrill cry of a lapwing. We both drank to our full caliber, neither counting nor bothering for the number of pigs. Before long, we were quite sozzled. Here we were, two happy souls in the world, sows sitting in our hotel balcony, raising toast after toast in celebration of our own, oblivious of a party, going downstairs in the lawn. Sooner than we thought, we got ourselves three quarters drunk. When it came down to the last ounce in the bottle, I gladly poured it in Ravi's glass, as an offering for his foe, hoping sincerely that this to be his last one for a long time. Having already decided to skip dinner and retire to our beds to usher in the new year in our sleep, we both bade each other good night. Sleep didn't take long though to come by as we just passed out even before our heads touched the pillow, and soon the room was lulled except resounding of heavy snows. I dreamt of myself being surrounded by a pride of lime and breathing heavily from fear and panic, looking all around for my friend, expecting him to help me out. From a distance I heard him calling my name, first slowly, then loudly, and then some name-calling. I was looking all around for him, but couldn't see him. Then he swore very loud, and I woke up startled, drenched in sweat, on a December night. I looked around, and there were no lines for sure. But it took me a while to come back to reality. However, the name-calling continued, and I figured it came from close quarters. Rewind a few hours. At around two past midnight, my dear drunk friend felt some uneasiness in the gut and went to the washroom to throw up, which he did and sat on the edge of the bathtub. Again, he felt like puking, 
got up and relieved himself and again sat on the edge of the bathtub. This happened for a few times before he was relieved of all the contents of his tumultuous stomach and uneasiness. This repeated throwing up drained him, and with mind still dizzy from booze, he passed out on the floor. Needless to say, it was December's last night at Sariska Palace, where night temperatures dropped to sub-zero. Being a four-star property with extensive use of marble on flooring, lying on floor could be devastating. Wearing only boxers and vest, he lay on the floor on his back for some time, got up briefly after a while, but was either too comfortable on four or too woozy to get up and preferred to lie wherever the heck he was. In the morning, he opened his eyes to find plastic curtains hanging over his face when he expected to be lying on the bed under a warm quilt. He was feeling stiff, dismayed, disappointed and a little amused trying to re-stitch memories from the last night. He tried to stand but failed pathetically. All in all, he was a heap of stiff back, accompanied hangover and a throbbing head. He called out for me a few times before swearing in loudly. That was when my nightmare broke and I came around. I jumped out of bed immediately, sensing some mishap, and went to the washroom. Feeling quite groggy myself because of last night's pinch and found my friend writhing like a runover dog in a deep agonizing on the floor of the bathroom. He was lying with his legs spread wide and hands bolstering the back, which looked kind of funny to me. I chuckled. The first thing I thought was that he might have slipped and hurt himself, but how badly? I was to know. What's up? Ah! What happened? Say something. Oh, my back. Is it broken? Did you fall? Slipped? He just sore. All his ahs and oohs were sounding very comical and I couldn't help but snicker. He scowled disdainfully at me and with much difficulty uttered, Give me your hand. With my help, and it was not a modest one, we managed to get him up and put him to the bed. He seemed too heavy for his build, perhaps due to all the on-the-rocks of last night. He sat on the edge of the bed while I tidied up the bed and made space for him to slump back, which he did immediately and emitted a loud cry. Initially, I was under the impression that he might have slipped and fallen on the floor, getting a severe blow on the head. But after lying on the bed and taking two deep breaths, of course, with grunts and groans, he spoke with cautious meekness. He spoke somberly for a good five minutes and listened to his misadventures in the bathroom with amusing awe, as narrated before. From the broken, incomprehensible account of my buddy, I gathered it to be a rather active night for him. Still, we both were clueless about the reason for his stiff back. We settled on the reason that he had been lying on the cold marble floor for a good four hours and the cold floor might have made his back stiff. That was one of the moments when one had mixed emotions, sympathy, solicitude, being a doctor, and resentment as we had planned for our jungle safari after breakfast. During next couple of hours, forcing myself to forget my foggy head, I presented my humble self to his service, even missing my morning cup of tea and even forgot tigers for a while. I was simply focusing on doing the best I can do for his back at this resort with limited medical supplies. I called room service for a hot water bottle and combed through my medical kit to find a muscle relaxant and painkiller. I was a man on mission. After trying all the resources I had in my hand for a good one hour, I found him mildly relieved. So much so, he was able to twist and turn on bed. 
though still with pain. We ordered breakfast in the room itself. How's your back? I asked with immense anticipation. Hum. What do you mean, hum? You find all this amusing, isn't it? Of course. What else is there in this? Shall we have a formal grief session? Let's laugh it out. I can't even laugh. It hurts. What will you tell back home to your wife as what happened to your back? I fell while climbing a rock. He looked deeply at me so that this lie would register with me as well. And how will you explain the entire episode? I was drunk. We both laughed. I guffawed and he cottled due to pain. But we both laughed our hearts out. Will you be able to come for the safari? I don't think so. Come on, you seem pretty okay to me now. You have no idea of the pain I am going through. Still, the breakfast came and was eaten silently. The coffee made us little less bleary and we were able to think more clearly. He figured he could still make for the safari after one more dose of Lexon and rubbing the pain relief ointment once more over his back. In my eagerness to go, I helped him pick his clothes for changing and even tied his shoelaces. I really felt appreciative of his collegiality and unflinching stoicism for agreeing upon the safari. As we were already late for the first shift of safari, we had another two hours at our hands before the second shift a time which I gladly agreed to wait upon to give him more time to recuperate. Around noon, we were escorted in a jeep to the park entrance, where after buying tickets, we were let in and got introduced to our guide, Murli. We were shown to a Bolero jeep with two other fellow tourists. We were given indemnity forms to fill up, which we gladly signed. It stated that if a tiger were to eat or maul us, the park authorities wouldn't be responsible. And I like this. As for me, in a situation where we end up inside the tiger, I would at least get to see it from close. And as I mentioned earlier, after doing countless safaris in futility, I would rather die than to return home this time without seeing a tiger. And what better way to die than at the hands of a mauling tiger itself? I bolstered up a pillow on a seat for my friend. The guide was a local who spoke slowly and in broken English with a limited vocabulary. He was to take us to an area 15 minutes from the park entrance, one amongst the core of the jungle. The previous jeep reported a sighting of a tiger there, just a couple of hours back. Barely a few yards inside, I started feeling the airiness of the jungle. It occurred to me that the word jungle is less about a place and more about the feeling. Around here were more noises than our ears could separate. From every direction came the hums and noises of insects, the chirps of birds and the calls of monkeys. For all its serenity, there was perhaps more danger in its green depths behind the trees. I could count each and every jerk and bump we had by the constant cringes and squinches of my friend. It was going to be a musical ride for him for sure, with a back like a broken guitar. After taking us on different tracks, making us see a few bug marks and hushing us up a few times, the guide appeared to be playing his role. The anticipation was building up when he brought us to an open area of the size of a football field. The driver killed the engine. We all sat in utter silence, quite gagged up by the eagerness of something happening. But it turned out that this time it was a false call of the monkeys. By this time, I was so frantic and desperate, as if the ultimate aim of my life is to see a tiger in the woods, and barring which I would trivialize all my other earthly possessions and virtues, as if my life hangs on it. 
I felt restless, especially after being spurred by the bugmarsh shown by the guide. As soon as he turned the ignition back on, we heard a fluttering of birds and squeaking of monkeys, very clear and from the right side of our jeep. Holding our breath and straining our eyes and ears, we looked all around for any movement among the trees. Just then, our guide pointed towards our far right, behind a grove of four or five big-sized trees and an area of dusty coppice. We saw not one, but two ferocious tigers splayed elegantly and looking at our direction. They were lordly striped of tawny color. Here the tigers did not care about us, and didn't avert their gaze or look disgruntled at our presence. It was a moment that deserved capturing in a big way, and we all started clicking. Our guide again turned his jeep on, and without much pressing on the gas, he started rolling slowly and gently towards the tigers, so as to reduce the gap. He stopped when we were around 30 meters from them. Presumably, that was a safe distance, not only for us, but for the wild animal. Getting too close might alarm them. Even from a good 30 meters, it was a gorgeous sight. One of these, the closer one, was staring us as earnestly as we were watching it. A thought just crossed my mind. If the tiger decided to give us a little more dose of adventure, and dashed towards us, making us run for our dear lives. Perhaps my friend, with his bow back, who presently find himself walking too hard, would fail to run and offer himself as a sumptuous meal for these tigers and their family. I smiled at the thought of it. What are you smiling for? He got a little conscious of my wry smile. Nothing. You and your internal jokes, he said nettled. I preferred not to share this one though I whispered it to my guide, and he giggled too. We made videos, slow-mos, and clicked several pictures, including selfies with tigers in the backdrop, capturing the moment as far as possible. After a while, we were seated up to our brink, and our excitement started fading, which our guide quickly sensed and turned on the engine. This time, with a little more rev, and went closer by a few more meters before turning away and trailing off into the jungle again. That evening, we returned to our resort, very content. How's your pain now? I asked my friend, once inside the hotel room. It's better, and besides, I'm happy, he said, beaming. Yay, what a sight it was. I will never be able to take those visuals out of my mind. What were you whispering the guide there? Mum, nothing. Hum. So this brought us to a very tenable reason to celebrate, and what could be a more appropriate time than to open up a bottle of 18-year-old single malt? I ordered some soda and looked at my friend, Escance. He turned away his eyes in disgust. A promise was a promise. I understood his resolution. Never mind. I'm in a celebratory mood and will celebrate for both of us and will help myself. I chuckled. Now he looked at me beseechingly. I ignored. Never mind. I will not ask you to join as I respect your resolution and will help you carry on with it. Soda came and I made myself a large one. I was feeling sorry for him the way he was looking at my glass luciously. A friend in need is a friend indeed. So not to tempt him anymore, I picked up the glass and turned my back to him. You could feel the edginess in the air. Anyways, I could not enjoy the drinks alone. I have heard that a couple of vodka drinks can ease the pain, he asked wearily. The ball was in my court and it seemed there was a whole lot on stake for my answer. I asked, on the rocks or with soda? Hesitantly, he replied, neat.